acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wooden. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Worst Year Ever, we'll get through it together, or not. Everything is so dumb, 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 Boy, this year, huh? Not a good one. It is one, though. It's a year. It, 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 it is a year. It is a year. So. Uh, and it, it 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 could either be the best or the worst year ever still because there's days left in it. So, like, you know, a variety of things could occur. But at we the moment... We could still turn this thing around. Yep. There's still of time. Of the years I've experienced, <laughs> certainly the worst. Uh, that's the podcast name. Of the years I've experienced, certainly the worst. This one is. It's punchy. Yeah, very quick to the point. Good, mm-hmm. the way you're supposed to write things. You want you want the long uh, titles for podcasts. That's yeah, what people, that's what grabs people as indirect and and obfuscated as possible. That's mm-hmm. what helps as you to communicate. As long as it does not fit in your podcast art, you're doing it right. Yeah, you know? yes, yeah. Exactly. the title doesn't fit. Meanders so, as you can, like intros. Like, like this intro. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, introduction wise, I'm, I'm Robert Evans. Uh, uh, and we've also got a Katie Stoll here. And we've yep. got a Cody Johnston. And uh, we're all talking about the world in which we live. Uh, but it's not just us this time. Thank God. Because we're, we're, <laughs> I mean, I'm tired of us, right? Are, are you tired of us? Us? I'm Exhausted. tired. Yeah. I, I'm not tired of any of you. I love all of you. That's I very equally. nice. I, 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 I see this bit and I like it. It's fun, Robert. But if I'm being perfectly honest, I look forward to seeing you guys. <laughs> I know. Well, that's very sweet, but it does ruin my joke. So it's time for us to bring in our guest for today, who I'm very excited to talk to. Uh, Jeremiah Ellison, who is a city council member in Minneapolis, Ward 5, uh, as well as a political organizer and uh, a visual artist. And uh, yeah, Jeremiah, welcome to the thing that we do that is in your ears, but is not the radio somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, been listening to uh, Behind the Bastards and, and was listening to Behind the Police. And um, 
uh, heard Minneapolis mentioned a couple of times and obviously have been involved in, in uh, all the stuff we're doing here locally. Uh, so it was, it was interesting to hear it sort of uh, distilled through, uh, uh, through your lens. And, and, and I think you got it uh, spot on. Um, and yeah, so I reached out and just thought I'd let you know, like uh, listening to Behind the Police was, was weirdly affirming, even though uh, I wouldn't call it like feel good uh, material. Right. Yeah, you sent me that message, which really helped on a dark day because they're mostly dark days in Portland right about now. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I, I started thinking like, you know, for all that I care about this, I know that y'all in Minneapolis in the city council have voted to like, let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of these police. <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the that was like the headline that I read earlier, and then like right. I read other headlines that's like it's actually. Harder than that to do. For sure. Yeah. Um, So I figured we'd bring you on because, like, first off, I want to know, like, what's uh, what's going on with that? Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, how do we get to the point of, like, I'm curious, you know, kind of since you've been inside this, what kind what it was like leading up to and getting, you know, have actually like having a vote on on that, on whether or not to kind of uh, replace your police force with something else and then sort of what's happened since and like what things have been kind of thrown in your way and blocked sort of the route that you like, I, I, it, it, I'm, I know that it's a fascinating story and you, uh, have been there for it, which really makes things easier on me. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I think that what you can say in a headline is, is often, um, obviously not the whole picture. And so I'll try to do my fastest version of the like long version um, which won't take too long, but essentially, you know, we had a number of constituents, a number of activists in the community of Minneapolis who, uh, during the uprising said, Hey, look, uh, we think that there's this, this, this huge, uh, not just problem with the Minneapolis police, but we think there's a huge inherent problem with the nature of policing, how we do policing, how we conduct public safety. We think a lot of you on the city council agree with us. And we're looking for you all to sort of affirm publicly that you agree with your constituents who, who feel this way. And so, um, and so, you know, I, I actually was at that time uh, doing a number of community like patrols, right? Myself, like as the council member, I was out all night. You know, there were a lot of there was a lot of talk of white supremacist stuff, and so I didn't know how many of my colleagues were going to show up to to the to the park that day. Uh, there ended up being nine of us, uh, and we and we sort of affirmed that we agreed that um, the the nature of policing was is flawed and. Um, and that we really need to, uh, we need, we're interested in being on the front line of dismantling that system and creating something different for public safety. What followed was a, kind of a number of really kind of boring, small steps. One was a resolution basically affirming that public commitment that we made in the park that we were looking to replace, dismantle, change our, radically change our, our method of public safety within the city. One of the ways in which we are blocked from making any changes is via our city charter. For folks who don't know, a city charter is basically like the municipal local constitution. Uh, so we're sort of in our own way. And so our first step really uh, after passing a resolution, and a resolution is basically just like a, it's a promise. It can either mean something or not mean something depending on your follow through. Uh, after passing the resolution, we went to go change the charter. And we ran into uh, the Charter Commission and, um, and I think also a, a lot of backlash within the community that was really pushing to sort of slow the brakes and say, hey, look, you know, we know that people want radical change, but we think maybe uh, that shouldn't happen. And the Charter <laughs> Commission uh, is a, uh, it's an unelected body. They are, you know, 
They are uh, entitled via state statute to make the decision that they made. The decision that they made, by the way, was to delay the vote on our amendment. So the, so the city council put together a resolution to change the charter, which would have to go onto the ballot for the people to vote. Before it ends up on the ballot, the charter commission, which is this appointed body, has to review the language and refer it back to the city council. Now, the city council um, can still put it on the ballot even if the charter commission doesn't think we should, but the charter commission has to get us a recommendation. They decided to run out the clock, so to speak. They never gave us a recommendation wow. back, mm-hmm. and, uh, which, mean, which meant that we could not vote to put it on the ballot. Um, that sounds like democracy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that seems like how it's supposed to go. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I was halfway through describing it where I was like, I'm missing steps, which, wow, I'm saying a lot and I'm still missing steps. You're wow. doing a great job. That's a lot of information. <laughs> so, uh, so that's where we are now. I think that a part of how we got there was that, so we tried to do this back in um, 2018 when I first got onto the council. So I was, for, I was elected uh, in November of 2017, uh, for those that don't know, and started my term in 2018. And it was one of the first things we did was try to uh, change the charter. Um, we were trying to make a less significant change. Uh, I think we basically wanted the council to be able to write policies for the police. As it stands, the Minneapolis City Council has no authority over the police. Um, and so uh, it's just the mayor has complete authority over, over the police department. So we tried to change the charter back in 2018. Um, and we were sort of out, we sort of were outmaneuvered by this narrative that like, oh, you know, how is a police chief ever going to function with 13 bosses, 13 bosses? Everybody was saying how like it would be chaos if we had a public safety system that was managed by 13 bosses, which is, which is how every other department in the city is run, by the way. And I think that like, you know, the roads get plowed and like potholes get filled and, you know, the trash gets taken out fine. Right. Uh, but for police, it's not, it's apparently not an appropriate system to have. That's all we were trying to do in 2018. Uh, you know, public opinion wasn't with us then. Uh, and so it was something we largely, I think, as a council let go. And then obviously with the murder of George Floyd, our, our inability to really create policy and, and, and manage the police or have authority over the police came rushing back to our face and was like, okay, you had the right instincts in 2018. Uh, you, may, you need to start pursuing this again. So that's what we started doing. Um, but we were a little late to... Uh, we, we we were a little late to proposing it, which is what allowed the Charter Commission to run out the clock. Wow. So what are the next yeah. steps for this? Uh, so I think that we're... Um, Who's on the that, Charter Commission? Like, I don't understand, like, that So the Charter Commission, <laughs> it's, it's an unelected body. It, it's, it's sort of, uh, 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 it was put together via state statute to say, you know, if you're going to make change to your city's charter, um, you've got to have... Um, essentially a panel full of, uh, of, of supposed experts that vet whether or not your charter change is appropriate for the charter or whether what you want to enshrine in charter should actually be an ordinance or whatever. So conceptually, it sounds good, but in reality, who's at, who, who for specifically for you, who is on, is it a bunch of old white guys like i don't understand like that was what i was trying yes (laughs) Yes. it's a bunch of older it's a bunch of like older and in some cases very old uh white um white men mostly some older white women um there were there were two two members i think were like folks of color newer younger folks of color but but it's general but but again they're appointed by a single judge the entire um uh, commission 
And so, uh, and then what we learned in this process was that the Charter Commission actually um, isn't full of folks who are experts in city charters, right? Um, th these are folks who, who are interested, willing to volunteer their time, and, um, and every once in a while get to have a lot of power. They mostly um, oversee municipal ward boundaries after every census. So what are the, the, ne the next things Sorry. Yeah, that yeah, you guys are? No, 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 that's yeah, yeah. fine. So, uh, so I think we, we, we want to tee this up for 2021, propose it early enough to where the Charter Commission yeah. can't run out the clock. You know, again, with the Charter Commission can, if we, we can propose language, the Charter Commission can send it back to us saying, don't put this on the ballot, and we can put it on the ballot anyway. But they do have to give us yeah. a recommendation. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that... Um, uh, the, the, the plan is to propose this um, with enough time, um, that, which doesn't allow the Charter Commission to run out the clock, and we can get this for the 2021 ballot. Um, I do think that that presents a, a different kind of challenge. I don't know how, how much time you guys spend interacting with like, a, elected officials, mm. of which I am one, yeah. but I would say that I'm worried that some of my colleagues won't want to have this on the ballot when they're on the ballot. Yes. Right. And, um, and while I think that I, I think that that's, you know, my personal opinion is that's ridiculous, but, um, but it is something that could go from, okay, this is a unanimously passed thing to all of a sudden it's really in jeopardy, right? Right. That, that can happen uh, with people making the kinds of political calculus they make. Well, especially since... Uh, this first push, or not first, as you have explained, but mm -hmm. right now, this moment in time is fueled so much by George Floyd, by the protests, by the nationwide attention, by all of this. And um, and so this decision was made. Unfortunately, this all this stuff happened. But yes, the next time it comes on the ballot, who knows what public opinion looks like? Who knows? Everything changes so quickly. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, no when idea. the pressure's off, is are people gonna rise to the occasion? I think that's a that's a valid question. You know, I like to think that I, I try to govern in a way to where I don't have to make those kinds of calculations. Um, yeah. You mentioned I'm I'm a visual artist, and and like you know, every day I, it just sort of baffles me that I'm not like drawing comics right now, and uh, yeah. <laughs> which is which is literally what I love doing. But I think this is important work. I'm not willing to sort of sacrifice what I think is the right thing to do in order to keep this job in large part because, you know, if I don't keep this job, I go back to drawing comics and that's, that's, not, a, that's not a bad case scenario for me. What made you decide to run for office in the first place? So I grew up, born and raised in, in North Minneapolis, which uh, if folks don't have context, that's sort of like the, the black neighborhood of, of Minneapolis. When a couple of years ago in 2015, a neighbor of mine who I didn't know um, him personally, uh, but actually uh, had some connection with his older siblings. Um, his sister used to do my sister's hair, actually. Uh, but Jamar Clark was, was murdered by uh, the Minneapolis police. This is before I was in office. And so this is somebody in my neighborhood uh, killed uh, blocks away from where, where I grew up. And, um, and I was down at, those, at the protests uh, every day. At that time, I wasn't really um, super neck deep into activism. Obviously, my, my, my parents have always been involved in, in, in politics. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and I've always had, 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 had a, had some proximity to politics and activism, but I myself was in my studio most days and, uh, the, the, the death of Jamar Clark sort of brought me out of my studio and, and to the protest. Uh, you know, after, after those, pro the protest sort of ended, uh, around Jamar Clark, um, I know I, I had probably done more engagement with city hall at that time, uh, than I'd ever done. 
uh, I got a project working. I got I got a commission to do a project in City Hall um, uh, as an artist, and I was working with one of the city departments, and I learned a lot about the city in that time mm-hmm. as well. And um, and uh, and the, I guess the short version is that uh, learning a lot so much about municipal government, being really disillusioned and disappointed with my representative at the time, I thought, you know what, uh, uh, and having a lot of community members ask me to run, um, uh, sort of pushed me into running. And, and I really, my goal was to address gentrification more than anything, um, which is, you know, economic yeah. displacement and everything. Uh, but obviously, um, this issue around policing and, and community safety um, is, is a huge one. Uh, and it, and it's, it's definitely sort of wow. dominated my time in office, uh, wow. especially these last couple of months. Yeah. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. Was there a kind of understanding when, you know, the... the George Floyd was murdered and the protests start up. Was there a kind of understanding at all that like police violence kind of has to be the thing that we pivot on right now? Like not just for, for Minneapolis, but because 
like we're kind of in a position to set uh, uh, an example for the rest of the country? Like, was there any sort of like feeling of that, um, or was or were you kind of totally focused on sort of dealing with with you know the the immediate issues in front of you? Yeah, I I think that I think that the the national and maybe even global conversation really was like we we tried to not make it front and center in our minds, right? Uh, you know, a part of it is that some of this work that we were advocating, we, we knew these problems existed, I guess, in short. Sure. You know, we, we had uh, uh, one of, in, just since I've been in office, um, the police have been caught um, injecting people with ketamine, uh, uh, you know, as they're being arrested for no other reason than like maybe they mouthed off to a cop or something, right? And the cop tells the MT to inject that person with ketamine until they're uh, 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 totally inebriated against their will. Uh, so that was a scandal when I first got in office. Uh, uh, we had That's a, protecting and serving. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we had a uh, we had a we had a drug sting uh, conducted that was uh, that was considered to be so riddled with like racial bias that the that the county prosecutor wouldn't prosecute any of the charges. Right, it was like massive drug sting and uh, uh, and and uh, and I don't know how much you know about like Mike Freeman, uh, but he's not like. You know, he's not like an activist, uh, you know, uh, prosecutor, uh, but he looked at this case and he said, OK, there's so much r- racial bias here. I can't prosecute this case. We've had um, uh, we got caught. Our police department got caught lying about the number of untested rape kits they had. They had something like 10 times more the number that they reported to the state. And so, like, we've had these issues, right, like with the police department. Um, and um, and so I think the the murder of George Floyd, like, I, I think it I think it it it. For a lot of my colleagues, um, me and, and Steve Fletcher and, and Lisa Bender and, and, and Philippe Cunningham, we've all we've we've kind of been like, uh, oh, and Cam Gordon, we've kind of been like the, the 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 leftist candidates who like every year we're trying to pull a little bit of money out of the police department. Every year we we maybe have enough for a little bit. Maybe we don't have the votes uh, to to get anything passed. But all of a sudden, for the rest of my colleagues, I think. The urgency of this issue just came rushing forward, uh, and it was like, "Oh no, we've 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 got a much more massive issue than I think a lot of my colleagues were willing to to acknowledge." Yeah, can you walk me through? I'm very curious. Like that first that first meeting y'all had after um, after the uprising started, right? After the like, like these protests start to sweep through Minneapolis and kind of spread virally around the country. What is your first day back together? Uh, with that as your new reality, like, like I, like, did it, did that just kind of like swamp everything that was sort of on the table, uh, temporarily? Like, what was? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, oh, like, what it was like to be in that room. This is, uh, this is like totally like, this might sound pretty weird. So we, so we don't have like session, right? We're just sort of working all year, but mm-hmm. periodically, four times during, during four weeks out of the year that that are, aren't that aren't together, they're sort of uh, sprinkled out through the year. We we have uh, a week uh, where there's no meet- there's no committee meetings, no council meeting. So uh, and it's called like a ward week. And often this is when council members will like take that you know they'll take their trip up to Duluth or whatever. So George Floyd was killed during a ward week, which meant that we went a kind of an uh, uh, an unusual amount of time without a committee meeting, without a council meeting, without meeting at all, right? Because we just didn't have co- we just happened to not have any meetings uh, uh, that week. And so, um, so it felt like forever. It actually felt like forever. It felt like, it almost felt like it, like, you know, especially with me doing night patrols, like during the day, I'm doing interviews uh, with like local news and national news. I'm going to the protests. And at night, 
I'm either out doing patrols or whatever. So I wasn't sleeping at all. Um, and so that week ended up feeling like a month. Uh, and, and I think that uh, when we finally did come back together as a council, it felt like it had been a long time, even though it probably hadn't. And so we passed that resolution. I remember that much. We ended up passing that resolution uh, saying that we're going to replace the police department. And I think we tried to set in motion a few things. Uh, and then we also had to uh, do a budget revision of the 2020 budget because we're facing this shortfall due to coronavirus. And so right. all of those things ended up sort of sort of hitting us at the same time. And so uh, and we're disconnected from each other. We're ha- all of our council meetings are exactly like this. We're not in the chamber like we usually are. Uh, and so. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, I think it felt like a, I think it felt a little surreal, but I don't remember the meeting being particularly like noteworthy other, other than the fact that we passed that resolution. Um, so, yeah. Wow. And, you know, one of the things that's been interesting to me here in Portland is, you know, it, it happened a little later for us when we became like the big national story, but we did, we've had a couple of different periods of that now. Um, and it's, it's among other things involved taking like communities within our city and putting them in the national spotlight. And suddenly everybody, uh, all these people, you know, and have been working with are, are on CNN and NBC and the New York times. And like, it's this, it's, it's, it's very surreal. It happened to all of the Portland journalists, like the local reporters I've been working with. And now it's happening to all of our like local far right and fascist activists after, um, after, uh, uh, Jay Danielson was shot. Yeah. Um, and it's very weird. These like little communities that like had never really been that prominent suddenly being like at the center of the national conversation for like four days. Right. Like that's mm-hmm. how it tends to work. Right. Um, and the same thing happened to y'all. I'm wondering, uh, uh, you know, because th- th- that story, once like you voted, you know, replace the police department like that was that was the. The, the one of the biggest stories in the country for days mm-hmm. um, in a way that almost nothing is anymore. What was it like getting all of that attention directed on all of you? And how did it sort of impact y'all's, you know, uh, uh, ability to do what you were trying to do, like to actually do your jobs? Yeah, well, you know, we there, there are two gro- groups here. Uh, one's called Reclaim the Block and, and another one's Black Visions Collective, who, mm-hmm. as far as the defund movement goes, uh, you know, they were these tiny volunteer organizations back in 2018 who are advocating that we take money out of the police then. And so they've just sort of been marching along uh, uh, as the years go by, um, making, the same, making the same demand year after year with, with, with very, getting, with, while getting very little attention. And so, uh, and so here we were in this mo- moment that was really, I think, vindicating for, for these organizing groups. Um, and, uh, and I think that a lot of my colleagues recognized that we had been getting pushed by these local organizations that entire time. And we were trying our best to center their advocacy in the conversation. And so I know that, you know, uh, they did get covered a lot. And they were, you know, uh, uh, Black Visions Collective was featured on the cover of the New York Times, uh, 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 the New York Times and everything. And so um, and so that certainly happened. And, 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 and all of that stuff is sort of complicated because in some ways we were getting a lot of attention. It was overwhelming. All my colleagues were on, you know, we were getting, we were on like, national, you know, uh, MSNBC and CNN or whatever, which is like this, this weird sort of cycle uh, that eats your time and eventually, and is exciting at first and, and eventually just feels all not that, not that fruitful. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but you're also not leaving your house the entire time, right? Like for the most part. Uh, and so, uh, as, and so it, it, it's, it, it, it weirdly feels 
like a lot and like um, and like very little at the same time, if that makes sense. So because you're social distancing, you're not you're not leaving the house. And aside from doing the nightly patrols, I wasn't really leaving the house all that much. So, yeah. And uh, what 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 what's next? Like, how do you if this is like this is the dream, this is the goal, like mm-hmm. replace your police department. Yep. Um, what, uh, what do you, what are you going to do next? Like what, what do, what do you, what has to be done next in order to actually make this happen? How do you stop this from kind of turning into one of those, uh, one of those things that, that sort of dies on the vine? Like right? yeah, that's obviously, sure. I think what the, what kind of the opposition to it hopes will happen is that if they can slow it down long enough, people will, people won't have the focus to see it through, which, you know, there's a good chance they're right. That's how america works uh generally sure. we lose the thread and forget to do uh or a kennedy get shot or whatever and like yeah we 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 stop you know doing the thing that we were doing and go back to pretending nothing needs to be everything's done. fine right yeah how do you stop how do we how do you move how do you how do you stop that from happening here yeah i i think that in large part uh a part of why i ended up uh messaging you actually uh, was because I, I think I have been feeling that a little bit, right? Like that this 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 slow death that happens when you try to do something bold, um, you hit a few stumbling blocks, and now it's just sort of like this slow death march, right? Um, I think that the way that we prevent that from happening is 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 a few things. One is um, our our local activist base, I think, is going to remain active, right? Uh, they have been year after year. They didn't just spring onto the scene after the murder of George Floyd. They've been in council chambers every year, sort of making this demand. And, and, and now they've got a lot of wind under their sails, and I'm hoping that they take advantage of that um, and continue to put pressure on the council. So that's, that's one. I think for my part, um, as a council member, as an elected, I've got to go out and have a lot of conversations with constituents that maybe couldn't happen um, immediately after the murder of George Floyd. Because uh, one of the things that is being politicized as a way to, to, to slow and derail this conversation is that um, you know, every city in America has had sort of like a rise in, in 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 violent incidences in crime, right? And so that you know, a lot of what the local media has been publishing, you you see these headlines from our local paper saying, you know, crime rises as council continues its 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 path towards defunding the police. You know, uh, homicides at all at a five year high as council looks to dismantle dismantle the police. And so they're trying to link this idea that somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, this increase in violent incidences is is correlated with this, the council's demand that we do public safety differently. Sure, and um, you said the uh, same thing in Portland too. Like we got you, rid of our gun violence uh, task force because it's horrifically violent. And gun <laughs> violence has also spiked, and they're like, "Well, it's clearly because of this." And it's like, "Well, there's also a giant plague, and everybody's yeah. out of work." Everybody's like, right. a lot like, of factors. Like, to there's take a number of things that have happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean. Um, I, yeah. I was dealing with a like a, a couple like a week ago. I, I was um, you know I was advocating for you know c- working with the, our county to get this homeless shelter because we also have this huge homeless encampment issue here in Minneapolis, and it's not our first one. Uh, and and uh, and homelessness is increasing. It's been increasing every single year, but it's getting really bad because of coronavirus. You know, I was advocating that that this abandoned building in my ward be used as a shelter, be converted into a shelter, and uh, my constituents were just like, I mean. Not all of them, obviously, but the ones who showed up to these public meetings and onto these Zoom calls, they were so against it. And and obviously, I work for my constituents, and I have an incredible amount of respect for my constituents, but I, I just couldn't quite 
put two and two together with their art. It was like people would get up there and say things like, you know, our children are dying and you want to put a homeless shelter here. And it's like, how is that a sentence? Like that. How does this homeless shelter affect? This right, right. Like how? Like how does this homeless shelter? Right, exactly. Yeah. That, that well, is also, and don't you, those houseless people are someone's children, right? <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, That's right, how right, right. humans work. Yeah. Right, right. I, I find that interesting. That you know, as an elected official, uh, reconciling something that you know to be good and mm-hmm. important to you in your tenure. Versus right. also what your constituents are showing up to say. And not just that, I mean, the people that show up and are vocal aren't are, are a subset of it. They're not necessarily what Everyone, the yeah. broader opinion is. Right. Right. They're the, the angrier ones are going to show up. Always show up. Talk. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, we needed sort of like, we needed sort of a, a couple different governmental bodies to play ball. The yeah. city, I'm, I'm at the city. We were on board. The county was obviously on board. And the last sort of unit of government sort of chickened out and just was like, we're, we're, we're not gonna, you know, uh, and we needed all three in order to make the shelter happen. So, so you know, so like, you know, so like, I think that the, this whole narrative that like this conversation around public safety and the police and defunding the police is connected to violence. And then when nope. people don't feel safe, then they just, they, you know, they kind of get that, that, that NIMBY impulse. And they're just like, no homeless shelter, no affordable housing, no poor people around me at all. Right. Like that's sort of like this, this weird, um, gut reaction that, that some people have, um, when they feel like their safety is under threat. And so like, um, you know, to, to, to get kind of to your question, I, I think that, um, you know, obviously there's the nuts and bolts of what we have to do, but, it, but that, that whole conversation around the homeless shelter showed me, it was kind of like a proxy conversation really about, uh, people feeling like secure, right. Mm-hmm. And feeling like they have a voice. And, and it made me realize that like, if we want to pull this off, you know, people aren't, it's not impossible to persuade someone who, 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 a constituent who comes to me and says, hey, council member, I, I don't understand why you're looking to defund the police when we're, when we're ha- seeing this increase in violence. And I, I tend, on a one-on-one basis, I tend to be able to, I, I'm able to have those conversations pretty well. And I'm able to explain to them the logic. And I'm able to explain to them that, like, you know, that actually police don't enforce safety, that, like, that, that the entire structure of policing um, is, is in some ways built upon a lie that it keeps us safer. It eats up a lot of resources and resources aren't unlimited. So when, we, so when we're dropping you know, 35, 40% of our city budget into mm-hmm. our policing institution, uh, that does mean that other things can't, other services can't happen, right? Um, you know, it's not difficult to have a conversation with people. Uh, you know, folks will often say, oh, well, who's gonna, um, um, who's gonna, um, who's gonna solve rapes? Right. And like yeah. our, our police department has an 80 percent no, no clearance rate on that. Right. And so like 80 right. it's, like, it's, it's like, like, look, nobody's, anyway. right, nobody's doing that now. Yeah. And so um, and so if that's a way in which you expect to be kept safe, then 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 we you and I should talk about that. And we as a community need to come up with a structure that's actually going to keep you safe in that way. But police and policing is not it. Right. And so um, I think that we're going to have to have hundreds of those kinds of conversations. Um, you know, some of it is encouraging. You know, I've been doing like these socially distanced backyard conversations in my ward um, just because the, the you're so depersonalized on these Zoom calls that like people will just hijack your meeting and just scream into into the into the abyss until everybody's frustrated and logs off. And so I've been doing them in person, even though it's a little bit dang- more dangerous, but but we've managed it. And um, 
And, uh, and I remember, you know, there's this one woman, I, I happen to have been born and raised in the ward that I live in. You know, uh, I just have never moved. Some people move and some of my colleagues are from different parts of the city or parts of the country. And uh, they've, they've made Minneapolis yeah. their home. This has been my home my entire life. And so I had this one constituent who was like, you know, uh, who was like, I've known you since you were, you know, four years old. And, and I feel bad saying this, but like, I can't support you anymore. Like, whoa, whoa you know, and it's like was yelling at me. And then like a week later was like pulled me aside at a different community meeting and was like, you know what, Jeremiah, I really, I hear what you're saying. And, 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 I, and I get it. You know, like I'm starting to, I'm slowly starting to get it. And so it's not impossible to, to win these arguments, but, um, but if we don't have, but we don't have the power of like a headline. We don't have the power of right. like, um, you know, uh, of a, uh, honestly, of like the, po- the, the political machine of like a police. Um, everybody will say they hate the police union. But then they'll gobble up the police union talking points, right? Mm-hmm. The media, everybody, you know. And so uh, we just don't have those kinds of political machines that can churn out um, uh, messaging. But those, those little conversations, if we can continue to have hundreds of them over the course of the next year, um, they, do, they do stick a little harder than a headline or, 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 or sort of like people being bombarded with, with propaganda. So do you, Absolutely. do you still think... There's hope for, you know, that thing that was the headline of, of, of Minneapolis no longer having the MPD. Is that a thing that you have hope for? Not in like the long, long run, but in, yeah. you know, a, 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 a time frame that's not, you know, distant in the future. Yeah, I, I think I do have hope for that. I think that, you know, and I also think that and maybe this is like a, a, a little bleak. I don't mean to sound defeatist, but I also think that we could make. Um, a, a, a push here, push harder than anybody has ever pushed before, um, that, you know, that we sort of have a more centrist backlash in these local elections. Maybe all the leftists on the council lose their elections. We're up in 2021. And then, and then the work is undone. But even that would be a success because to me, if we can, if we can create an example that can even be pointed to later down the line for somebody to follow, that's, that's a plus for me. Now, my hope is that uh, we're going to get this done. We're going to establish the Office of, um, uh, of Public Safety and, and Violence Prevention. Um, and we're going to slowly start to shrink the footprint of the police while we beef up these other services um, with regards to me- mental health response and yada, yada, yada. I'm hoping that we can do that, start to do that work within the next year, year and a half. My hope was that we could do that work um, starting this November if we were able to get the, the, the Charter Amendment on the ballot. But with the charter as written, there's limits to how much we can shrink the police force. And so, um, and so I, think, I think that there is hope for that. Um, obviously, with, with all of sort of the more left-leaning council members, you know, being on the ballot, if, you know, if, if we all lose our elections, that'll tell us everything we need to know about how successful we were in, in, yeah. in persuading our constituents uh, to go this direction with us. No, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious when it comes to, because this is the thing we're also dealing with in Portland, right? Is like all of this is happening and everybody claims that the majority of people are on their side, right? The police yep. claim that like uh, the right wing claims, you know, the left wing claims. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I, and you know, it's not like the presidential election. There's not a bunch of pollsters wandering around Minneapolis or Portland trying to figure out how people feel about this stuff because that's just sure. not, pollster, pollsters go for like the big national shit. Yep. And so you're kind of in the dark. Do you have any is it really going to be a situation where like 
in 2021, we're just going to learn if we get reelected that they <laughs> that they're on board or not. Um, do you have any other kind of like barometers that you're able to tell sort of where people are right now? Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. So, so one of the things is um, these are, you know, these positions are extremely local, right? Like I represent in no uncertain terms my neighbors, right? Like um, if you're a congressperson, right? Like my congressperson is Ilhan Omar, who I love yeah. and I think is great. Um, but like Ilhan represents a, a large swath of people. She can't possibly know everybody in her who she represents, right? In, in Washington, D.C. I'm kind of, I represent few enough people that I, I can kind of know a lot of them, right? And so um, that puts me in a position to, you know, so I might, so I might get, you know, a, a lot of folks, um, you know, at a community meeting or by a lot, I mean like 15 or 20 saying one thing, right? Telling me that I shouldn't be pursuing this path. Um, I might get a pastor that says, you know, this is, this is crazy, Jeremiah, you know, the police, you know, one time the church was broken into and the police were helpful, right? But I'm also going to get like another pastor who says just the opposite. And when I'm walking my dog, um, uh, um, you know, uh, in the morning, I'm going to get a, a ton of neighbors who just run out and tell me I'm doing a great job. Right. So there's a so I think that there's a there's a you, you represent few enough people in these positions to be able to get some sense. Mm -hmm. uh, your neighbors aren't pelting you with rocks as you walk as, as I walk yeah. my dog. And I, I take that as a good sign. And yeah. so um, and so I think uh, so that's one way we did have one of our local organizations reached out to an organization that does polling. And we do know that the, that the, the, the prospective charter language was polling well, right? Now, does that mean that the charter language was not, not quite uh, like a, a defund or abolish the police charter? That's not what it would have done. What, what the charter language would have done was allowed us a lot of flexibility to take public safety in different, different directions. Um, and it was polling well, and we do know that, right? And so I think that those are some of the things that are, sort of continuing to give me hope about, you know, what's, uh, you know, how people are feeling. But by and large, I do think it'll be hard to know how people are feeling um, until, until 2021 local elections. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, again, I'm, I'm very rooted in my ward because I grew up here. Um, but, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to know um, if, if we, if I, if one of my colleagues who's sort of, I, I would say more on the left, if even one of them loses their election, um, all of a sudden, you know, I think it, I think it becomes a lot harder for us to yeah. to, to mount this progressive push uh, on a consistent basis. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through together or not. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true she pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. 
And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everything is so dumb, 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 dumb. So, yeah, I mean, we are to some extent just sort of waiting to learn if people like what you're trying to do and you get to do it. So it's the kind of thing, if you get back, if you get reelected in 2021, you have a lot more power mm-hmm. to actually push this through to the end and make this shit happen. Yeah, I can basically take that as like a mandate from the people. Whereas yeah, right now, yeah. I'm operating a lot on instincts, you know? Right, right, right. And, you know, in, in completely unprecedented times, which I, uh, I, I just want to say, you know, from a, the perspective of someone who... um is watching a guy like I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at like our mayor here in Portland, um, mm-hmm. who is a, a feckless coward. Um, I would, I, I, I can say as an objective journalist, right? Like that's not an opinion that uh, that's, that's like, that's something I can prove mathematically that he's a feckless coward. I'll, I'll go into court and testify that I'll talk, I'll sit down with the FBI and tell them that like, right? Like I, I, I feel confident in arguing that as a matter of fact, rather than opinion. Um, Every other question you want your lawyer, but if they ask you that yeah. question, yeah, no, he is absolutely like I, we we can yes, I'm, I'm happy to tell you this. Um, uh, yeah, so and I it, it's this it's this the thing that has been so disgusting with him is that he's this guy who clearly thought this would be an easy gig because he was running like you know 2016. He was thinking Hillary was going to be national, like he'll be part of this big blue wave. He'll do his four years as the mayor of Portland and then he'll move on to the governorship or he'll, he'll go into Congress or whatever. And that'll, this will be part of his pathway, maybe to the presidency or to a cabinet position or something. Sure. Um, and you know, he winds up becoming mayor at a very difficult time to be mayor in Portland. And he completely fails to rise to the challenge and punts mm-hmm. on every critical issue. And a tremendous number of people are hurt and a significant number of people are killed as a result of, is at least a partial result of his complete inability to sort of rise to and deal with the situation that he found himself in. And it's been very much the opposite for you and your colleagues. Like you have been, you found yourself in this completely fucking unprecedented position. Um, I feel confident saying no, no city council member of Minneapolis in recent memory has had to deal with something like this, 
right? I mean, the like, closest I could think of is like the <laughs> 08 crash, like the financial yeah. crash, right? Like that's the closest. Yeah. And there wasn't a yeah. pandemic. Yeah, right, and right. people didn't burn down the third precinct. <laughs> no, yeah. no, nobody burned down the police precinct. No. Um, so I, I just, I, I think it's, it's deeply uh, honorable and impressive the way in which y'all have at least met this head on, right? Like we'll see how it all works out in the end. But you didn't flinch from the fact that like you were in a position of power during a moment of historic import, and and instead you tried to do something, and that's. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that. And I, and I think that like, you know, I can be an incredibly competitive person. You know, I, I think that I don't know how you even run for office if you're not at least a little bit sure. competitive. And so, um, and so, you know, a part of me like is not quite ready to, to, to pat us on the back. Right. And like, and I know that like, um, you know, even, uh, even as some of the arguments came out, like when we were, when we were pushing for the, uh, the charter change, which all my colleagues, I think, on paper agree, uh, it was a um, um, you know uh, the good, the best direction to go, and allowed us a lot of flexibility. And you've seen, I've seen just a number of my colleagues already start to buckle to this, really, this propaganda that somehow the increase in violence is 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 linked to this discussion that we're trying to have, right? And and I and I just like you know, and I think that this is winnable, right? Like I think this is winnable, and and I won't give myself any credit until until we win it um uh, or or until we just completely completely fail um and so and so I'm 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 hope I guess I all that to say I'm 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 cautiously hopeful uh that 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 people are ready to have this conversation and when you think about like what the what we imagine the police to do and what they actually do you know there's this huge dis- disconnect right mm-hmm. uh my my colleague one of my colleagues um um, I don't know if he would want to be named, so, I'm, so I won't name him, but one of my colleagues talked about, uh, you know, sort of how the police expected his ride along to be this like eye opening experience uh, of like how hard their job was. And, you know, and like, <laughs> and what he discovered, you know, was just like, just how, like, how little accountability there is, right? And how much time is wasted. And also, you know, we have certain procedures, for instance, you know, if, if a cop gets, get shoved, they can basically press, press a button on their uniform and every single cop in the city will go, go to them to help them with, their, with what they're dealing with. With their crisis now, if you're, if, shoved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And it's, like, it's like, and it's like, do people know that at any given moment in the middle of the night, like they think that police are patrolling their neighborhood, but like maybe every single police in the city is like over at, um, over uh, mm-hmm. along the lake because some teenager uh, head butted a cop or something you know like you know it's like our practices are are extremely inefficient our our police's methods are extremely brutal um they demand zero accountability um and and nothing has proven that more you know if you if we had even any cops at all who were who were pub, who were out there publicly saying you know hey you know what we're not afraid of more oversight because <laughs> we think what we do is totally on the up and up then like that would make that would sort of make you know I would have I think a harder conversation um, you know with my constituents and with myself about what the right thing to do is uh, but at, but at every turn um, our police union did this media blitz and um, that was supposed to be sort of like their um, oh my God look at us the council is picking on us <laughs> and uh, they continued to make sort of gaff after gaff one of the women was like uh, was asked a question about uh, we only have about um, uh, 
uh, about six or seven percent of our cops actually live in the city, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, ninety-three, ninety-four percent of of our police officers of uh, on the Minneapolis Police Department don't live in the city. Wow. And she was asked a question. One of their union reps was asked a question, and she said, "Oh, well, like Minneapolis uh, grocery store. I don't want to be at the grocery stores with my two beautiful girls and um, and like running into rapists and murderers and, th-. and it's like." What do you think going to the grocery store in Minneapolis is like? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> that doesn't. Yeah, that's it doesn't, rough. It doesn't seem like you like this community very much. <laughs> no, not at all. It doesn't seem like you consider yourself a part of this community. Maybe yeah, right, that attitude right. for yeah. somebody with a gun going around isn't great to have. Absolutely. Mm. You, you know you. Um, Robert, you made you made a, a good point on on one of your episodes from behind the police that was like, you know, um, police didn't even have guns as standard issue until like the 1940s. I'm, I'm quoting you, so I'm hoping yeah. I'm hoping your info's right on that. <laughs> well, it was um, it was it was a bit it was a bit earlier than that, but yeah, they didn't initially okay. have firearms standard issued, like, like right. especially and, even in the early 1900s. Yeah, right. I, I mean, and so I think about like it, how how difficult it is. Like once there's something about our collective imagination in terms of like what it means to be safe or what keeps us safe uh, that, 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 that doesn't allow us to even reconsider fairly new concepts. I mean, the Minneapolis Police Department has only been in existence for about 150 years. Uh, I think it's 153 years. And so for 153 years, which in the grand scheme of things is not that long, we've basically done public safety one way and we've yeah. never tried anything else. Uh, and yet, if you were to tell people, you know, what if we were to build a public safety system that wasn't this one, uh, they just act like, you know, they act like, you know, well, this is how they did it when Jesus was around. This is how we're doing it. I was like, well, not quite. Like, you know, like this, uh, there's got to be other ways, you know. Uh, this isn't, this wasn't like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that really bums me out is, um, and this is like a broader issue for me, is the, um, is is what's happened with television and broad, and I'm not trying to be like an old man, TV's corrupting kids, but like what is on television is a reflection of what we're able to imagine as a culture, right? And so, you know, in the in the 90s, we had, uh, uh, you, you had shows like Star Trek, The Next Generation, which were like this, this really optimistic view about the future. And even before then, when I was, um, when I was a little kid, the show that my parents would show me, um, that that was like their view of like this is how uh this is how the country ought to operate was the Andy Griffith show which was um a show about a, a sheriff named Andy Griffith in like small town America in like the 50s or something like that and one of the things that was like uh, one of the things about Andy as a sheriff is that he he didn't carry a gun and there were actually a couple of episodes that were all focused around the fact that he refused to carry a gun because he he thought that if he if he went into a conflict situation carrying a gun, then people would see him as someone who was primarily there to use force to 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 like make them comply, mm. and that's not what he wanted to be. Because his goal was to make his community safer, and so he thought that that walking into situations with a gun actually made his community less safe, and so he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like one of the most popular shows on American television in like the, yeah. 50, the 60s or whatever. Yeah, um, that's a radical you, idea. You, <laughs> yeah, in no way would you get that on TV today. Like you no, know, no, like, no. And, 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 like it's not. And this is again, this is obviously a time when like like fucking everybody in Andy's town pretty much is a white person. So I'm not trying to say like the Andy Griffith show was like some perfect, you know. But but right. but the the fact that. 
the fact that back in those days you could have a show where it's like, wouldn't it be neat if cops didn't carry guns? And everybody's kind of like, yes, that is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's just inconceivable that you would have a, a, a TV show, an, an American TV show about American cops who are unarmed. Um, oh, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, you know, um, there, was a, there was a funny, there was like an interview with, uh, with uh, Boots Riley where he was talking about how like, uh, you know, superhero films, which like I grew up on comics. I, I, love, I love like, you know, all the superhero films. But he said a lot of these superhero films are, are cop movies, right? They're, oh, they're yeah. 100% cop movies. And, um, and that has made it, you know, uh, really mad at Boots Riley for saying that because that has made it really <laughs> difficult for me to enjoy superhero films. Um, but I went back recently and I was watching... Um, I was watching like Batman Begins and, and The Dark Knight and like, you know, those movies to me are now uh, basically unwatchable, not because, uh, you know, there's the obvious sort of ridiculous premise of like Batman, Joker, these characters that are like whatever, but like there, there are just these little assumptions that aren't supposed to be a part of the fantasy, right? Like Batman is supposed to be the fantasy and Scarecrow is supposed to be the fantasy part of the story. But there are these little things that aren't supposed to be a part of the fantasy, but might be a little bit more fantasy than the concept of Batman. One of them is that like the treatment of like criminals in those movies is almost like it's almost like being a criminal is encrypted into your DNA, right? This yeah. this this idea. And so sometimes I'll hear constituents and the way that they talk about the homeless or the poor or crim- or the people or people who commit crimes, and the way they talk about it just feels baffling to me. And I'm just like. I can't, I can't under, I can't get on the same page with them. And then I watch Batman Begins, and I'm like, oh, this is what, this is their concept of who a criminal is, right? This is what they're. The, the, it's just this person who is inherently this way. Doesn't matter their life circumstances, you know. That's why when I'm talking about um, a jobs program or whatever uh, or the economy, that sounds that sounds bizarre and besides the point to them, because to them the criminal is just sort of this inherent you know, almost, you know, genetic thing within yeah. a person. Um, and that when I got, got up there and said that we're going to dismantle the police department, all the criminals heard me and decided that I was giving them a free pass to, to go commit crimes. I mean, that's a, re- that's a really weird way to conceptualize why crime happens, in my opinion, right? Yeah. Um, and, so, uh, and so I think that, like, and, and so if we're up against the kind of mythology that, that, like, um, that like, Batman begins... In, you know, in shrines, encrypts into people, then like that's 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 a tall hill. It could be a pretty tall yeah. hill to, to to overcome. And not only not only that, um, there are criminals, and they're just like that's how they are, and that's how they're always going to be. But that also there will always be crime. Like, yeah. not only is that embedded in the criminals, but crime is embedded in our communities, and there's mm-hmm. nothing to do about it other than well, you stop them and you put them in jail. Oh, and then if they get out, well, they're going to do another crime because there's always going to be criminals. There's no, oh. there's no solution to it, really. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I had a, I had a, a police officer say to me, um, uh, uh, he called me and we kind of got into an argument, and he he was like, uh, he had made a statement that I had actually applauded him for uh, like a couple of months ago. He had made a statement saying something like, you know, three to six percent of cops shouldn't be cops. And I remember at the time I was like, "Oh man, that's, Shit, a very that's almost re- like a revolutionary yeah, thing yeah, yeah, for a cop to admit yeah. these days." Right, <laughs> right, right, right. That number could yeah. be a little higher, but uh, yeah, yeah, that number could be higher. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so I remember. So then, like a couple months later, you know, I, you know, he's calling me because he was upset about my position around dismantling the police department, and 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 and, uh, and we're having this this conversation, and he says, "Oh, you know me, you know uh, uh, Jeremiah. Like I'm gonna say, I'm gonna call it like I see it. I'm gonna say whatever I want to say." 
you know, I, I stood up there and said that three, three to six percent of cops shouldn't be cops. And, and, and the same way that, you know, three, three to six percent of the community needs to be locked up. I was like, oh, no. hey, <laughs> I was like, hey, <laughs> I was like, that is those are different no. statements. Those are not the same. <laughs> I was like, no, oh, man, boy, not, at like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not at uh, all. Not at all. And this is and this is coming from one of the this is coming from an officer who, you know, I think prior to that conversation, I, I would say, like, kind of gets it better than most off officers right yeah. sure the fact that he's willing to admit that a significant <laughs> portion of police shouldn't be police is again something yeah right 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 yeah and so that's, if that's yeah so if a guy who kind of gets it is getting it that wrong yeah like what what, what 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 do we think those guys you know in in the squad cars are are saying doing thinking yeah um it's it, it's unreformable in my opinion yeah yeah, yeah, you have some, you know, it's it's the hammer, it's the hammer nail thing, except for like the problem that we're we're like what we're trying to do here is like we're trying to um to like polish glass or whatever, and it's like well, <laughs> you know, sometimes you have hammers that are better than others, but none of them are the right tools for this job. Right, right, <laughs> like, right, right, um, right, right, yeah. Yeah, I, I I guess the last thing I'm really curious about is um and I don't know if this has been something y'all have dealt with or not, but uh I can folks get angry when you talk about things like uh getting rid of police forces. Um it gets it's extremely politicized right away. Mm-hmm. I'm yep. wondering did y'all deal with any of that sort of like internet hate mob stuff coming down on your heads after your, you know, your your big vote went very viral? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of us more so than others, you know, mm-hmm. um, I remember, you know, I, you know, I, I probably was getting more hate mail than I probably ever have gotten most of it virtual, but then I got some things sent to my house and, um, and then it was funny cause I, I like told my dad about it. It was like, oh yeah, like I got hate mail sent to the house. And, and then like <laughs> a few hours later, uh, I got a call and the FBI was like, we're going to come pick up that F- hate mail <laughs> from your house. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's weird. I don't know if I want, you know, the yeah. FBI at my house. Right. But, um, <laughs> but, they, but they came and picked up the hate mail and, and you know, who knows what, what they're going to do with it. But, um, uh, but yeah, certainly. And, and some of it was, some of it can be pretty scary. I know that I'm lucky enough to like have a good relationship with my neighbors. I, I have a lot of friends who are legally armed themselves who are like, Hey, look, you know, you're out there doing patrols at night. Like we'll post up at your house and make sure that, that, that nothing um, shady is going on. But not all of my colleagues had that. And, you know, there was a lot of my colleagues got some flag, you know, uh, because they accepted, you know, some private security when they were getting very specific death threats. And I was offered that same security. I turned it down because again, I, I, I just had, had this network that was willing to sort of do some of that work. And, you know, and I, I think that some of the flack is probably unwarranted because when you're getting death threats, and especially if you're a city council person, you know, look, we, we got in, most of us got into, into this because we're looking to like, you know, we're, we're dealing with zoning laws, you know, we're, we're like, you know, we're, we're doing like, most of them are like community planners. I'm a muralist, you know. Um, and so when you start getting death threats, um, it's hard to know exactly what your, what, what your next move should be. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and so a lot of that was scary for a lot of my colleagues, some of whom did accept some private security. Um, uh, but again, it, it all ended up amounting to just a lot of hot air 
Um, but you never want to just assume that nobody's going to make good on some of the threats that you get. Oh, you know? Yeah, you have no idea what, what yeah, is hot air and what isn't. the thing about those threats is that like, you just can't know. Yeah, yeah. right, right, yeah. right. Um, so yeah, so I know, I know like everybody was like, I, I was at first hit not taking it very seriously, uh, but I had told a few friends just sort of like, hey, this is a crazy thing that happened. Uh, and then immediately, just like a bunch of my friends were like, uh, armed, posted up outside of my yeah. house. Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right, I, I appreciate you guys. I don't know if this is necessary, <laughs> but I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So, so yeah, yeah. Well, all right, um, Jeremiah. I think we're um, that's that's everything I had to ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. This was a, Jeez, a yeah. great conversation. Yeah, and, and for having those conversations with people uh individually that's where yeah. that's where that's yeah. where the real convincing happens yeah, yeah. Um, we, thank you for taking concerted action to try to improve the material conditions of human beings on planet earth <laughs> also just to our listeners i want to point out this is such a good example of someone getting involved on a local level <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> and, we talk, and changing yeah. politics and doing the incremental work and sometimes the drastic work, you know, that it, it takes to change public opinion, to move the needle. Um, it's vital. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, you know, and I think that there are right before this, right before hopping on, on this call with you all, I was on a call with a couple of council members from uh, from Seattle and Austin who are all trying to move, you know, similar things uh, to us as, here in Minneapolis. And I, I think that, like, if folks um, are looking for. You know, I'm not going to promise that every, you know, local, every city has that person that is really pushing hard. I have no idea. But I know that there are a lot of cities. There are some folks in New York. There are some folks, you know, in Chicago that are like, you know, again, city councils, it's not the sexy work of like being in Congress or even being in like a, a state house or state assembly. But there are probably some really radical folks quietly pushing and so find those folks because they're, they're, they're going to instill a little bit of hope and they're going to be maybe more courageous um, and often a lot of folks at the local level, certainly there are folks at the local level who are, who are careerists, but often, you know, uh, you're, that city council member is, 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 is not just some careerist. They're willing to take some big risks, say a big thing, say a radical yeah. thing. Um, so I encourage people to find, find whoever that is in their, in, in, in their city. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online or promote anything you want to promote? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm, uh, uh, so, uh, Jeremiah Ford North on Twitter. They're welcome to friend me on Facebook or, or follow my page, uh, you know, Jeremiah Ellison uh, for Ward 5. Uh, and, uh, and I don't think I have anything to promote just, uh, you know, other too. than vote in November. <laughs> yep. And, um, you know, and uh, I, I guess, you know, if folks opt not, opt not to vote, I'm not going to shame anybody. I don't think that works. But um, I do think that, uh, you know, it's, it's an important thing to do. I'm the chair of the Elections and Rules Committee in, some, in my city, so... I kind of have to have to advocate oh, yeah. for, for people voting. So, well, thank um, you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again. And you can check us out online as well at Worst Year Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You know who we are on Twitter. Mm -hmm. It'll be in the tweets. Yeah, you're aware of us. You're aware by Don't now. Don't pretend you're not. You know, it's you fine. love it. You yeah. love to see it. All right, this took a All turn. Right. Well, we're done. Thank you, Jeremiah. And, and oh, last thing I want yeah. to say is my, my sister uh, really appreciated the uh, the uh, Phyllis Schlackley episodes. Find <laughs> <laughs> the bastards. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so just wanted to wanted to put that plug in. So, uh, she had learned about Phyllis Schlackley when she was in college and was like, 
oh, somebody else knows what about a monster. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So. Yeah. Well, all right. all right, that's the episode. Everyone go get elected to your city council and remove your own city's police departments. Go, go do it right do now. It, do it, do it. Before the day is done. Like, just, <laughs> no excuses. Get out there and do it. Come on. Clock's ticking. Everything's so dumb. Everything's so dumb and it's gonna get dumber. Great. I tried. Yes. Daniel? Lovely. Worst Year Ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.